What does it mean to master the game of life? Like any game, it requires a fundamental understanding and application of the rules. But living in today's on-demand society is making this nearly impossible as our attention is increasingly being fought over and monetized by others. Will Moore's mission is to help you hit the reset button by providing a new set of game rules based on time-proven universal principles and modern science to gamify your life by making it fun and addictive to replace your habits in the five core areas of your life proven to lead to true happiness. Ready, player one? Hey, buddy. How are you? How are we doing? Doing good, dude. Um, I was just about to introduce you, but why don't you – I like it when, when people – tell their own story. You, do you mind kind of telling our viewers a little bit about yourself and um, your background and where you are now and where you're headed? Yeah, I guess. Uh, isn't it so funny that of all the questions that you could be asked, this tends to be the most difficult one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been on podcasts and, and well, plus you got to tell the same story over and over. So it gets old. I'd like to mix it up, but just do your best. It. You don't have to go, you don't have to <laughs> go crazy with it. No, I love it. So uh, for anyone that I haven't met, my name is Matthew Pates. My background is in psychology, but what I focus on primarily are early childhood survival patterns and root cause emotional trauma. And I'll say this right off the bat, you do not get into this work because you have your shit together. So mm -hmm. know that we, uh, you know, anything that we discuss, share it, you know, this work really stems from a life lived and not just, you know, the regurgitation of several fancy books um so it's uh i truly believe it's my mission in, in this space to be uncomfortably transparent when necessary well like that. uncomfortably transparent that's i i always use the term brutally honest that's a mm. that's a new twist on that and i like it yeah i could launch into just a you know a very lengthy conversation around this but i guess i'll turn it back over to you and uh, I'm excited to to just be here. I'm honored that you know to be a guest and be presented here. So yeah, man. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah, I mean, so you know, so yeah, getting a little bit more into. Um, I mean, I, I I find that people's stories are fascinating. So you know, like you know, without going into like you said, super detail. You know, kind of the rundown of. You know, was there something? Did you have a good childhood, bad childhood? You know, did like you said, you know, nobody gets in this because they're they're perfect human beings. Um, you know, I myself have my own tragic story that, uh, turning, turned it around and now look <laughs> at me. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, honestly, I mean, it is and all, all joking aside. I mean, it is that type of stuff that I think is, is good to share with people and let them see that, you know, cause everybody has their own set of stuff going on and everybody thinks it's the worst thing in the world. And Oh, mine's way worse. But then you look at other people's and you're like, wait, Theirs was actually way worse, and they were able to overcome it. So, um, anything in your childhood? How did you have a good childhood? Yeah, I mean, I had a great childhood. It was layered. Um, and before I launch into that, you brought up something I think it's extremely important for I think for us to to kind of explore, and that's the idea of you know turning our traumas or our experiences into competitions, right? And we all do this, you know, myself included. Uh, but what I find is that uh, when it comes to connecting and finding safety within one another and, and our individual stories, it's the ability to uh, look beyond the context and recognize the emotional experience, right? For example, you know, before I launch into my story, you know, 
someone may hear it and think to themselves, like, you know, this guy, he doesn't know shit. He hasn't been through anything that I've been through. Right? And they may discredit mine. Or, you know, they could listen to my story and think to themselves, like, oh, who am I to be feeling the ways that I'm feeling? I've not been through anything this guy has. And they discredit their own story. And yeah. <clears throat> I think it's important to recognize that, you know, our experiences are relative to a large degree. And, you know, and it'll make, I'll make this make a lot more sense shortly. But like, for instance, when I go in to share my story, I'll go ahead and plug the fact that, you know, my biggest uh, struggle was feeling like a coward. Right? And that stems from my childhood. And it, that was a story played out over, uh, you know, large periods of my life. I'm 37 now. Uh, and I would say only in the past four years have I, and even, even more recently, have I really begun to disrupt that story um, in, a, in such a way that my life has begun to open and expand in the ways that I'd always dreamed. Um, but again, I say, you know, I struggle with feeling like a coward because even if you haven't had the same story as I have, you probably know, or have had moments where you have felt like a coward yourself, right? No matter what the context. So when we're able to look at each other's story from that perspective and say like, oh man, maybe I didn't have that experience specifically, but I have had that feeling in my life. So there's much more common ground than, you know, meets the eye, so to speak. With that, does that make sense before I just... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. But to answer your question now, as far as my childhood story, so uh, specifically speaking to what led me to my work, um, you know, I experienced sexual abuse from a, an elder male for uh, nearly five years of my childhood, from roughly six to 11. Um, and, you know, that led to uh, many struggles, uh, you know, including struggles around... Um, identity, sexuality, um, you know, my self-worth, you know, for a long period of my life, I, I genuinely believed that my uh, purpose was to be a physical experience for other people, uh, so much so that it led to um, uh, a period of my life where I was an escort, it led to drugs, it led to alcohol, and uh, even a near suicide attempt on a drug crash. You know, it's, like I said, my story is layered. And this is the Cliff Notes version. Uh, but, you know, really what that forced me to uh, recognize um, was a couple of things. You know, that morning specifically where, uh, you know, I nearly made the ultimate decision, um, I learned two very specific things. Uh, and the first thing that I learned that morning was that, you know, I did not want my life to end. I wanted my life as I knew it to end. And at that time, I didn't know another way. Right? Or I was afraid of the other way that, you know, was being presented, which was to face it head on. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then <clears throat> later in this experience, but in hindsight is when I learned the second uh, lesson, which is that if I was willing to go that far. Right. And I've skipped over a lot of details because this included, uh, you know, my life partner, Allison, my mother and my sister. They were all on a three way call while I was holding a loaded weapon in my hand in a complete spiral. Right. None of them knew where I was. What? How long ago was this? What year? Uh, I mean, just was about, yeah, I was probably about four years ago. I think I was 33 mm -hmm. at the time. So it was, uh, I say, I say that to say, like, if I was willing to go that far, right? if I was willing to put the three most important humans in my life uh, through that particular morning, uh, which I clearly was because I did it. <laughs> uh, then from that point forward, I no longer had the luxury of fear. 
And what I meant by that was, you know, I no longer could be more afraid of my truth than I was my own death. Uh, and I could be no, I could no longer be more afraid of, uh, you know, facing my insecurities and my struggles head on than I was putting, you know, those who I loved most through that morning. Um, so from that point forward, it was like, okay, if I was willing to go this far down this path, then I, I had the responsibility to put that, that same energy <laughs> into going this other direction mm -hmm. and to see where that would get me. Uh, right. I mean, you've got two, you got, you got two choices do that or, or, or the latter that you were thinking about. Right. So yeah. thank God you chose, you know, you chose that one. Um, and, and you know, so what was it that, so you, so, I mean, it wasn't like you realized right then, like, okay, I, what am I doing? Or was it somebody, one of your, one of the people on the phone that helped you? And then was it like an immediate, like you turned things around or was it like a slow progression? So if I'm being very specific, there was a moment that morning. And again, I was on, uh, I was on a cocaine crash specifically and, if anyone's ever experienced that, it's a lot like playing quarterback and they remove your entire front line and allow the defense to just rush you with all the activity that you <laughs> Good analogy. Yep. You. Yep. Um, so you just have absolutely no defense. And uh, so in that, that moment, I'm holding the weapon. And the thing that crossed my mind was uh, I had this very detailed image of if I were to do this, how I would be found. Right? Like my physical body with the condition it would be in, the environment, you know, someone would have to walk because it was someone else's home that I was in, you know, all these layers. And in that moment, I knew it was like it, it wouldn't have been fair. Right? Like, and that was a huge turning point for me was like I was unwilling to put others through that experience, um, which was just enough for me to you know, to pull back a little bit. Um, and then, you know, there's, uh, there's obviously more to this story, but eventually Alice and my partner you know, figured out where I was um, and showed up, was able to, you know, confiscate the weapon and, you know, all of that. So, right. I'm yeah. so just, just to kind of relate to you, you know, I mean, I, when I, I was suicidal, my senior year, uh, well, excuse me, my freshman year of college. And um, I mean, definitely, you know, mine was more alcohol, but, you know, drugs, drugs are obviously, it's a way for you to try to mask the pain and, and, and all it ends up doing, as you know, and anybody that's ever been down that road is it just compounds it way more, right? It's a short-term relief, but then it's like, then you get the crash and then you get the guilt of taking drugs and feeling like, what am I doing with my life? And it's just it's just so much worse. And yeah, I mean, I, I, we used to call them the scare, this, let's see, suicide Sundays is what we used to call them or the scaries, you know, there's different terms, but like coming down off of just a bender, mm -hmm. um, you know, of just going hard and just, you feel like you're on top of the world. And then like your brain, all that dopamine, serotonin, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know exactly yeah. how it works, but I know that it just, that's all, all just like, <laughs> goes away and then all, all you're just left with the dark scary places yeah. and so um thank god you know you were able to right it's, it's always interesting to me so for you it was you know i don't want to have to put 
these people through having to deal with this mess, you know, um, thank God. Right. Cause I mean, it could have been anything, any reason, or it could have tipped the scales the other way. So, all right. So, so you aborted that, aborted that, thank gosh. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, how did, how did you start to rebuild four years ago? Well, it was interesting because, you know, I was already pursuing a career in psychology. You know, I was already pursuing that work and, and to be in the position to support others while, you know, all of us still struggling with it ourselves in many ways. Um, so, you know, the the biggest thing I'll say, well, I won't say the biggest thing, but one of the major turning points, too, was that day. Um, uh, so Allison, they literally, you know, found me, put me in, a, in an Uber and sent me direct to uh, an acute trauma specialist. Uh, so I actually went and met with a therapist that was, uh, you know, we'll say highly trained uh, in this particular, uh, you know, field or this, this type of work. And to this day, I wouldn't know who she was if she walked in my home. Uh, but I'll never forget the first thing I remember her saying. Um, and when I walked into her office that morning, I, I told myself, it's like, I'm giving her everything. Like, I'm not holding anything back. And because I Yeah, what did you know, call it at the beginning of this? I call it brutal truth. Brutal honesty, uh, you called I, it. Uncomfortably transparent. Yes, that's what you yeah. got to. Otherwise, you're just, I mean, if you want what help, you, you got to lay it all out on the table. You're just fooling yourself, yeah. And that's exactly it. You know, I, I, I often say, like, I share my story, you know, not to shock people, but I share my story for those that are still afraid to share their own, right? Specifically those details that you could only understand if you've ever been there yourself. Like, yeah, I just saw somebody said, I think this podcast was meant for me. So, right, I'm sure, oh. you know, so, 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 right. And I like I said, I've been there. And, you know, I think that there's different levels of, you know, like, like you actually got right there. Um, there's different levels of people that have suicidal thoughts. And I think that, you know, this type of conversation is good for, it doesn't have to be like you've got right to the point of pulling the trigger. It's if you, you know, you're down on your life and you just feel hopeless, like, you know, th this is the type of conversation you need to listen to. I feel so hundred percent continue. I mean, there's, there's a death even in living and, you know, there's grieving yep. and shame and, and all of that. And I think, like I said, you know, at the top of this conversation, you know, this, these aren't, uh, these stories are not to be compared, but rather to, you know, to understand maybe a little deeper, you know, how one gets here, how one who is in that place may be experiencing it, and so on and so forth. But to close the loop really quickly on, on what the therapist shared with me at the end of this, what I thought was, you know, an hour and a half to two hour long just you know word vomit uh she uh her very very first words that i remember her saying were uh and i quote no shit you found cocaine what were you supposed to do and i was like wait like that's not what you're supposed to say right. you're supposed to like hit me with the you know you know better Who's more important? You're supposed to give me like all those you know, therapy things and then, you know, connect me with a, you know, NA group and all this stuff. Uh, but instead, what she did was probably one of the most profound moments of my healing journey and um, uh, of, of education for the work that I, I do, which is uh, she met me exactly where I was, right, versus demanding me to meet her where she was. Right. And 
what that looked like for me in that moment was, you know, she didn't give me permission to go do more drugs by saying no shit, you know. What she gave me permission to do was to forgive myself and to experience grace for having made those decisions, gotten to this place in my life. Um, so having her meet me where I was emotionally in that moment um, created a sense of, of safety and a feeling of being understood, not judged. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that we all seek is just, you know, this feeling of, of being understood, especially because most of us have no, we don't even understand our own ourselves. Right. So when someone can sit across from us and, and give us some sense of understanding, it's, that in itself is freedom. Right. So that's it, man. Yep. I know, you know, it's, it's amazing how like everybody, everybody's brain is different and how, you know, there's not one way. To, to help people, unfortunately, you know, like certain methods work for different people. But I think in general, like you were just saying, like anybody that like, like that term meeting, meeting you where you were versus having to like say, hey, this is where you need to be come up here. Like, that's just it falls on deaf ears. because It's like, well, I can't. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, anybody that can just get on that level of, hey, we're all human beings. And you know, your brain works the way it works and mine works the way it works. And at the end of the day, we all just want the exact same thing, which is to be happy. So, you know, let's figure it out. And then something, obviously the, what that, that therapist or psychologist, psychiatrist said, you know, resonated and clicked with you. Right. And then it was like, I could, when you were describing it, I could see that shift. And I had a similar shift. Mine was reading a book when I was my freshman year of college when I was suicidal and one of my favorite professors that I idolized, like, recommended this book. And he's like, you know, kind of in passing, he was giving his lecture. And he's like, oh, and by the way, I read this book when I was younger, changed my life, made me who I am today. Anywho, back to, <laughs> you know, religions of the world. Yeah. And I didn't hear a word he said for the rest of the thing. I ran right to the library after. Thank God they had the book. I, to this day, I'm like, what would have happened if they didn't have that book? And I just devoured it. And the book was called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, which I'm sure yeah. you've heard of. Um, I've read it probably 30 times at this point. And it's still, it was written way back in like the 40s, you know, like 80 it's years ago. It's somewhere close to me. I have books everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice, yeah. Um, I know. I feel like if you're doing what we're doing, it's, 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 it's one of those key ones you, you have to read. And, and it, just anybody out there, I still, it still holds up. Like I said, I mean, universal principles are universal principles, things that stand the test of time that have been around since the beginning. They'll be around till we destroy ourselves to ignore them and <laughs> to not live your life by them. You're just asking for trouble, right? Everybody yeah. thinks they, they can game and cheat the system. And the good news is you can, you can kind of hack your brain kind of just like what we were saying. Like, your brain wants to deceive you all the time. Like it's, there's, there's all these things in place and that, you know, say, you know, for instance, um, you know, you get a bad grade in school uh, for, you know, your college student and you think that, that it's going to be the end of the world if you get a bad grade, right? Your brain like builds this whole thing up and then you get a bad grade and yeah, it sucks for like a minute or a day, but then your happiness level actually doesn't change. Like we catastrophize all these things. And then, you know, there's examples, you know, throughout everybody's lives that they, they con we're constantly catastrophizing me. like, oh my God, like it's the worst thing ever. There's no way I could ever, you know, get out of this. And that whole fixed, I call it a fixed victim. And it just kind of mm -hmm. takes over. Um, and then it, it's, it's figuring out how you can 
get your brain going in that growth owner way where it's like, no, I got every, I got, I got the goods. I'm just like everybody else. I got weaknesses. I got fucking things that are wrong with me and you know, whatever. And I, but I also got strengths and I got good things going for me and I'm going to focus in, I'm going to focus in on those. And that's really the key to life. Like focusing on the things that you're good at and passionate about that keep you moving and, and growing every single day. And then you'll never look back. But if you just sit there and dwell and, and are breathing and all these things that don't make you happy, I mean, you'll end up suicidal like you and I were. hundred percent. And uh, two things. One, I'm just, uh, I love that you just curse because I know I did already a couple of times. I'm like, <laughs> uh, oh, we haven't, I don't know if that's kosher here. <laughs> it's kosher. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, uh, and the other thing, and this was a huge turning point. It's actually become, uh, you know, foundation, uh, a foundational piece of, you know, the work that I do now, which is uh, really understanding the basics of the nervous system. Right? I don't think you need to become like a neuroscientist or any of these kind of things in order to change your life, but, you know, understanding the basics and, um, one of the things that really helped me uh, better understand who I was biologically speaking and why I was, you know, why it was so difficult to make some of the changes that I knew I wanted to make, um, you know, which before I understood this piece that I'm about to share, I, I would use all of those struggles and, you know, call it failures, whatever it was um, in pursuit of what I wanted or who I wanted to become. I would use those struggles as evidence of my brokenness, right? When, in fact, there's no such that's thing the, as a broken yep. human. Right. That's right? the fixed victim in you going, oh, poor me. See, look, I knew I was broken and I knew, right? Yep. And I think this happens because none of us are really ever, you know, uh, given this piece, which is, so your nervous system, right, it has one objective, and I mean just one, and it's your physical survival. Right. It does not give one damn about your hopes, your dreams, your goals, the car you drive, the blue check mark on your whatever. Like it doesn't care about any of this. All it cares about is your physical survival. And it is hardwired to avoid very specific experiences in order to increase your chances of survival in any given moment. And those are uh, in no particular order. But the first one would be pain. Right? Anything that causes the human being pain, if you allow it to persist, will eventually lead to harm or death physical and emotional, both, right? Right. So physical is obvious. Something's beating on you. You allow that thing to continue, harm or death. Uh, but the other, I think, is the more common experience that we have, which is the emotional pain. And what this looks like is if anything's causing you a great deal of emotional pain, if you allow it to persist, it will eventually lead to harm or death. What this often looks like is disease, depression, or worst case scenario, suicide. These are, you know, long-term evidence of emotional pain unresolved. So the first thing we're hardwired to avoid is emotional pain. That's why we don't like to talk about our insecurities and all that kind of stuff, right? Because <clears throat> uh, it's painful. And then the second thing, and this is where I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people collect that evidence, right? And that thing that we're hardwired to avoid is anything unknown. Right. Anything unknown to you specifically, it doesn't matter if your best friend knows it, your dad, your mentor, you know, the people you follow on social, if it's easy for them, it doesn't matter. If you yourself have not experienced this thing, your nervous system I, uh, sees it as a direct threat to your survival. Right. Because we think about us, you know, biologically, you know, back many moons ago, had we gone hunting for our, our tribe and come across an animal that neither of us 
new. We'd never seen this thing before. You know, we would have no way of being able to predict how to protect ourselves or how to avoid it. So being in the known equal death. Yeah. Okay? So the same, we're, we're on a primitive system in a modern world, right? It's like if your iPhone, fully iPhone, whatever it is today, right? Fully capable of doing all the things. But if you're still operating on the original iOS, whatever software, doesn't matter what the device itself could do. It's not going to perform beyond the software or the conditioning, right? Humans yep. are the exact same thing. You know, our bodies grow up, but our, you know, our emotional uh, awareness never will unless we make the conscious effort yep. to, to raise it. Well, I love all this. And this, this I'm actually taking uh, right now, are you familiar with uh, the Yale Happiness course? Have you, have you heard of this? I've heard of, but I'm not familiar with the um, it, it was this woman created it several years ago. It, it ended up being the most popular course that Yale ever offered. So popular, mm -hmm. in fact, that they, they took it. They had to take it online because they couldn't. They were like filling the auditorium. Like, and now it's on, it's on um, Coursera. So you, uh, mm -hmm. anybody that's Love. interested can take it. But I'm taking it right now. It's so like some of the stuff you're talking about was resonating. And one of the things that, the, the the section I'm on right now they were talking about is like right our paleolithic brains right we're we are are why we're still wired certain ways and what's what's happening now is now there's this juxtaposition of modern tech technology and all this stuff and 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 the world we're living in giving us all these things that we think that we want and will make us happier, right? It's like we're basically doing everything we can for us to do less when you actually kind of think about whatever everything's at. Everything's kind of like, how can I do just this and get everything I want? And, and there's quite a bit you can do that with now. I mean, you can get your food delivered. You can get, I mean, that's the business I used to run, restaurant delivery service, like a DoorDash or Grubhub. You can get um, yourself delivered in a car anywhere you want to go. <laughs> you know, you can get anything within 24 hours, two hours now. Um, yeah. you know, from Amazon, all these groceries, whatever. Uh, and it's making us, it, what's happening is it's eroding our discipline. It's making mm -hmm. us less happy because we're having to go out. We're not like, we're built to want to go out and, and to grow and, and to do things and interact with other humans. And the less we do that, and then not only that compounded is we're then looking at comparing ourselves to others on social media and on TV. We see, Oh, why, why, why can't I drive that car? Like, why does he have this? And I don't, you know what, you know, she, why does she so pretty and, and skinny? You know, meanwhile, people forget the fact that when people are posting on social media, if you picture this, like, think, think about like a thousand, a thousand uh, moments in your life, you're going to post the best one right? Of that thousand. So it's like, it's just so it's not real life. It's people are just posting their best, their best stuff. And then people look at that. And they're like, Oh, I want that life. It's like, if you, you know, you probably have that life. And, and, and so kind of what I'm getting to is one of the things that's really neat. And, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier in the conversation is there's this thing in our brain that tries to trick us. And we go, I can't remember the, the term, but um, it basically says, okay, I have to have that. And if I don't get that, I won't be happy. But here's, here's the rub. Even if you get that, so they use an example of 
somebody making $50,000, you ask them, that's so, so that's their baseline. And they go, okay, well, what would make you happy? Like you think salary wise? Well, 100,000. Okay. So then they make a hundred. So then, then you interview people making a hundred thousand. Are they jumping up and down because they got, they doubled their salary and they got what they wanted? No. You know what they're doing? They're saying, what would make me happy? 250,000. Right. And it's just this never ending. And like you said, if you're not aware that, that this is how we're programmed and, and, and how our brains work and the fact that you're going to just always be chasing and you're going to always want more and you're always, and there's going to be now more and more stuff around us showing us how other people have more and it should be so easy to get. I mean, you're screwed. You're screwed because you'll it's never, true. you'll never kind of develop that because life still takes hard work. I mean, you know, even like these, these influencers and stuff, like they spend a lot of time doing this stuff. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people just see, oh, well, I can do that. And, you know, it's like, no, like anybody that ends up making it long-term, I mean, yeah, somebody might get a viral video and they may pop for a minute, but if they want to turn that into like a monetary thing for a long period of time, they have to put in a lot of hard work and effort. And you can't just click a button and snap your fingers like everybody thinks you can. No, and you're absolutely correct. And, and something I love to kind of talk about here is a conversation around judgment, right? The comparison judgment, comp, you know, thing that we do. Um, and again, it all comes back to our physical survival, right? It seems like, you know, when I say like, oh, the idea of it scares you to death is because it actually does, right? It seems a little dramatic, like, oh, how is it going live equal, you know, how my death, right? But to your nervous system, to the to the the you know the primitive part of the the body, it's exactly what it's experiencing. And if you think about the comparison, for example, <clears throat> one, we're human beings. We're hardwired for connection. Right? We require connection to actually survive. We're tribal creatures. And the comparison thing is the uh, the idea. For example, let's say uh, back in like the Roman era, right? And let's say our castle, let's say me and you are, are citizens or soldiers and our castle is being attacked. You know, what would what would we do for our king and queen? All right, what do you think? If we're soldiers or citizens and our, our castle's under attack. In this day and age do? or like? Back then. Right? Uh, back then, you, you would have probably given your life and, and fought to the death to, to defend your king and queen, right? 100%. So... What it is, is status equals survival, right? If we are of a higher status in our society, the likelihood of us surviving an attack is much greater because those around us will protect us, right? It's like the elder in the tribe, right? We protect I haven't heard that one. That's, that's interesting. I, you're right. Um, I totally agree with that. Uh, yeah. And I was, uh, there's another example, sorry to interrupt you, but no, another, another, I think instinct goes even further back to paleolithic days when it was like the more, um, the more power influence, what, you know, they didn't have money back then, but you know, the more you had, you know, maybe you had a bigger house, maybe you had better weapons, maybe you had, you know, more people around you. Like, like, I guess that does tie in like protecting you. Right. And it goes back mm -hmm. to, right. It's that, that's that's hardwired into our brains physical survival right and everything that triggers us you could boil down to uh, one very specific thing which is safety right and when i say safety i do mean physical survival not emotional comfort mm -hmm. 
right? That's the thing too, is a lot of us have this idea or this hope rather, I know I did, that our healing or our purpose, call it, when we find it, we'll know because it'll be easy. It'll just be so, man, well, when it clicks, it's just gonna be the easiest thing in the world. That's how I'm gonna know it's for me. Right. <laughs> right. No. Couldn't be further from it. You know, it's totally. your purpose, because it's bigger than, right? It's gonna require that you daily, consistently live just beyond that known, right? Live just beyond that comfort zone as we often describe it. So, which means your nervous system is gonna be like going ape shit trying to protect you because it's like, wait, don't do that. We're, we can't predict what's on the other side because we've never been there. Right. Meanwhile, your purpose, I heard it described uh, not too long ago actually, and it really resonated. Someone said that, you know, your body, your physical body is hardwired for um, uh, the familiar, mm -hmm. but your soul is hardwired for growth, which is really this mm. internal Ooh, battle. Yeah, that that, that's a good one. That, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I heard this gentleman say it. It was just like, oh, this is that internal, like, what's wrong with me thing that we often use as evidence that we're not good enough or we're not whatever enough. Instead, it's literally just your biology uh, kind of rubbing up against your soul's desire, your purpose on this planet to grow and, um, you know, become something. And that's, that's a, something I'd like to plug here too in this conversation is that cyber working theory, uh, I see it play out in my life and I'm seeing it work really well and, and other people that I work with closely, but it's this idea of like, we are talking about, if I achieve something, I'll feel a very, I'll feel something specific. I'll feel a certain way about myself. Right. When I get that 250,000, then whatever that thing is that we're, that we're pursuing. And, you know, as, as you've experienced and described, you know, all of these external achievements, they're really nothing more than false summits beyond a certain point. Right. There's our literal needs. Right. You need to make a certain amount of money to be able to provide necessities. Right. At least in our day, we need a certain level of connection to be able to, you know, satisfy those basic human needs. But beyond a certain point, it, they're really just a series of false summits. Yes. Exciting. Right. right. But if we have the expectation that call it the 250,000 a year is going to make me feel freedom, going to make me feel happy, going to make mm -hmm. me feel some way about myself then what often happens is we work our ass off, right? Pursue right, then you're, you're right. You're, you're ignoring all the things that actually make you happy, right? Yeah. These other areas of your life, like relationships, your physical health, your emotional health, your stress, you're doing all the thinking, if I, you know, if I could just make this amount of money, then it'll all be fixed. But yes, Man. continue. Right, so then you get there. And yes, it's really exciting and rewarding for a short period of time because you finally did it. But if your expectation was that it was going to provide some sense of freedom or significance for you, what you're often left with then is a, now what? Like an identity crisis, quite frankly, right? And what I'm, <clears throat> the theory I'm working with here is like, so imagine this for a second. So instead of being motivated to achieve something so that you feel certain about yourself, what if you focused on becoming something, right? And then imagine what that person could achieve. For example, the word that I find that is, is really uh, come up a lot, and this is the one that resonates with me most, is becoming someone you're proud of. Yeah. 
This, that's, that's very good. That, and that reminds me, there's a book called, uh, another great book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Have you read that? I've not read it, but I'm sure. Great, great book. He talks about, um, you know, how it's, you gotta, it's, it's about changing who you are through, and, you know, habits are his whole thing. And I, I couldn't agree more. Habits are pretty much the, the center of everything I do as well. Because at the end of the day, it's your habits are you. You're, you're on autopilot most of the time. And you, we just, we go through life and whether it was a trauma, whether it was an event, whether it was just, we just, the low hanging fruit, we started developing this habit of, you know, looking at our phones all the time, or, you know, we, we have all these, I call them failure habits. Mm. And we're not aware of them. And we're just kind of on autopilot. And, and his whole thing was like, don't, don't make it your goal to be like, I want to stop overeating. You know, I want to, I want to exercise more. But like you were just saying, like, change the person, the core of who, who you are, and then that person, and then it starts to kind of radiate out from that. And, and like, that's your goal. And, and the way he says to do that is you start changing your habits. And, you know, you kind of say, this is the type of person I want to be. And you start changing your habits. And then before you know it, it, it kind of all compounds on top of itself. Because one habit, good habit, begets to get the next and the next. And then you start replacing those failure habits with these success habits. And then before you know, and so like I, the way I do it, I actually have, and I'm building an app to kind of help people mm. do this, which I'm excited about. But right now I'm, I use a spreadsheet and it's like these, I have a list of every single habit that I do, whether it's neutral, mm. bad, or good. And the neutral are in black, the bad are in red, and the good are in green. And my goal is to basically make them all green, right? Mm. Um, even the black ones, it's like an opportunity, um, mm. you know, like a neutral habit, like waking up in the morning. Okay. It's like, okay, how do wait, I wake up in the morning, but then what, what's my first thing that I'm doing, right? What, what, what am I then, am I grabbing my phone and scrolling through social media or, you know, am I picking up a book, whatever it is, you know, that there's just all these opportunities throughout the day. And he, he uses this term called habit stacking, which is cool too. So you kind of mm -hmm. like to be more efficient with it. It's like you, you stack this habit with this habit, with this habit. And all of a sudden, like in one fail motion, you're doing three or four success habits. Like for me in the morning, when I take my shower, I recite my mantra to myself. I do my stretches and I do my breathing exercises. And then I um, remind myself what I'm grateful for. And I come in a shower and then I, I play Alexa and I, you know, I play, I've got Will's playlist and she knows all yeah. my favorite songs and I'm fucking ready to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That yeah. versus sitting in the shower, a failure habit would be, Oh God, I got all the shit I got to do today. And just like, you know, oh, I didn't get my stuff done yesterday. I'll probably not get it done today. Like, the difference in how your day is going to go based on that. Mm -hmm. Incredible. hundred percent. And so one of the things that I'm finding too, is that, you know, anyone that's sitting there like, well, what's a good habit? What's a bad habit? What's a successful habit, right? They're all kind of, you know, in many ways, vague terms to most of us, right? They're just specific enough to satisfy a conversation, but not specific enough to actually create an action or a behavior change. Right. So, for instance, the word success, you know, for anyone listening, you know, being able to ask yourself, okay, what is my definition of success, right? And I don't mean the definition that I think my father would be proud of or that I think my girlfriend would like or, you know, that my boss would want me to write down on my form tomorrow at work. But, like, what is success to me? And most of us have no idea, right? Because, again, we're social creatures and going back to the, the early childhood patterns, right? Like, so from zero to six, we established over 60% of what we believe to be true about ourselves and the world around us. 
Okay. So zero to six years old, you're establishing a well over half of what will eventually become your personal identity, you know, unchecked. Right. right. And then the other part of that, and this is why I brought this up is that during that same time frame, zero to six, I know you have small children, right? Yep. So you're seeing this runner on your house all day long. I got I two, two, two and a half and five and a half. So I'm right in there. There we go. Right. So those children are during this time of their life, they're also 100% dependent on their caregivers to meet every single physical, emotional need required for their survival. So what this means is, and we're all this way, every single one of us, what we mean, what this means is that our patterns of survival are initially rooted in dependency. So we learn how to act in order to receive. If I act a certain way, my father will tell me he's proud. If I act a certain way, my mother holds me, feeds me, celebrates me, punishes me, ignores me, whatever the story is, right? Whatever the learning is. So what happens is we're all rooted in this performance-based survival, right? I must learn how to act in order to receive. So this idea of, you know, I, I may not know my definition of success, but it's yours. Yeah, I'll do that one. Because if I can perform in relation to your definition, then you're more likely to accept me. Yeah. Right? Now we have connection and now I get to survive because I got someone else with me. Right. Versus if I, if I have my own definition and you don't agree with it, oh shit, right? That's a threat, that's a risk. Mm -hmm. So most of us, when you hear this, like just be more authentic, just be yourself. None of, very few of us know what that person is or who, what they would be interested in because we're hardwired or we're, I won't say that, we're conditioned to, it's, it's safer for us to know what you expect of me and me to learn how to perform accordingly than it is for me to sit with myself and, and understand what it is that I desire and then spend the time that it would take for me to attract or find a like tribe, right? It's much safer and much easier for me to just you know, stay in the flow of what my mom and dad expect, right? My, my original tribe, if you will. Yeah. Right? So um, I think it's extremely important, going back to the, uh, the idea of defining one word that constantly comes up more than success is freedom. Right? Everyone is just seeking, the, everyone wants to just become free from something, right? So being able to identify what is your definition of freedom and, you know, as a, as a business person, entrepreneur, you can, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like what I believe is, because I support a lot of people in executive positions and entrepreneurs, et cetera, is <clears throat> being able to identify your definition of freedom. And then you get to build a business or a life that supports that definition instead of building a business or a life that appears impressive and hoping that that feels like freedom, right? When in most cases, a lot of people build a really impressive life and all they've done is created the, you know, a prison built out of gold bars. Mm, yeah, totally. No, that, that's a really good point because it's, it's true. I mean, and more and more, I mean, studies, this isn't just us shooting shit about it. I mean, we are becoming more and more obsessed with money and things and power and fame and, you know, everybody it, it's, and that's the culture we live in. That's the, I call it this, you know, it's this broken society that we, we grow up in. And it's really the whole world. I mean, some countries are better than others. United States, in my opinion, is the king of just, uh, you know, gluttonous, like, you know, more, more, more will make me happy. And 
I mean, that's how we raise our kids and that's how we go through school. And that's what, you know, one of my missions is to change that from a fundamental level, like start teaching our children stuff that actually will make them happy versus preparing them to go get a job that they might be miserable in. And then at the end of their life, they go, Oh shit, I did that all wrong. <laughs> I should have, I should have, you know? Um, and, and yeah, like what you're just saying, it's like figuring out what it is that actually makes you happy, your definition of freedom and, and building your life around that versus I should do this because that's what everybody else is doing. And I, I and I, and it is a natural that it's, that's also a primal instinct to want to have more money and more power and more fame for the same reason we were talking about earlier. It's survival. You know, the more of that stuff you have, the better your chance of survival. But right. But it's like not Tim wrong. Fair, what's that? It's not wrong to desire this. Right. Right. It's not inappropriate. It's just, exactly. It, it, it is what it is. It's our brains playing again, like we were talking earlier, kind of playing a trick on us. And, and, and then if you're not aware of it, you pursue that. And like you said, I like that prison made of gold bars. I'm going to write that down. Um, that's it. I mean, how many, how many wealthy, I mean, and so they actually, the study going back to this happiness study, uh, of course that I'm taking, one of the things they did is they did this huge study of like what, how much happier are you incrementally after a certain dollar amount? And they found $75,000, at least in the United States, anything over that you're not incrementally becoming happier. I mean, is that not insane? And so like, I mean, there's a lot of people that can claim that salary. Not everybody, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when you get to that look, because then like you're saying, you've got your basic needs, you've got this, you get that. And then it's like, then you, it's like, okay, figure out what, what is freedom to you? Like Tim Ferriss just went and traveled around the world. That was freedom mm -hmm. to him. That's what made, made it interesting. And you can do that these days for, for hardly any money. And all these wealthy people out there that we just all are striving to be, there's so many that are miserable. I mean, I'm the perfect example. I knew it was coming. I sold my business a couple years ago for a huge sum, um, you know, the total for the business. And my sum, the, the amount that I personally got was enough to where I technically didn't have to work for the rest of my life. And like you were saying earlier, it felt great for a moment for, for, for we'll call it a week. I was like, oh, it was like this huge, it was a nine year struggle. And mm -hmm. the amount of time and, and happiness I gave up in that time, in, in that amount of time, uh, I can never get back. And so it's like mm -hmm. more than anything, it's like, ah, oh, this thing's off my shoulders. And, but then it was very quickly like, okay, now what? Now, now where what? do I go? What's my next growth? It wasn't, oh, I can finally go and sit on a beach and drink a pina colada. Yeah, no one wants the Mai Tais. Not every day. <laughs> no one wants what? The Mai Tais. Like not every day. Right. It's fun for a short period, you know, like a vacation. But then your mind, again, it goes back to we are wired to always be growing, ABG. And if you are not growing, if you are not moving in a direction and pursuing something and passionate and, and you know, you are never going to be happy. If you just rest on your laurels, I mean, you look throughout history, tons of famous celebrities and stuff that they got, they got money and fame and then they just kind of like got fat and got into drugs. And I mean, every, every, you know, documentary you see on a rock group, it's the same story over and over again. Uh, most of those people were absolutely miserable. Yep. Oh, I just saw Oasis. I love documentaries. So, I mean, I watched the Bee Gees, same story. Like he's the only one left. He didn't talk to one of his brothers for years and years. And then his brother died. They, it was all about like, who's, Who's the better singer? Who's making more money in the band? Uh, Oasis, two brothers, haven't spoken to each other in like 20 years. One of the most, the biggest bands on the planet. And same thing, they let the money and the fame and the greed all get to them. And it's like, we look at those people and go, oh, they made it. 
Meanwhile, they're fucking miserable. Miserable. Right? Like fucking miserable, most of them. So what I want to share right now is something that I've, I identify as the purpose formula, because I believe everything, and you talk about pursuit of happiness and all that stuff, I think purpose is the thing that we are being called towards. And, you know, I believe all of us believe that we each have a purpose, even if we don't know what it is at the moment, right? Or it seems elusive in some way or another. Um, interestingly enough, a study uh, that was recently done proved that, or showed that 87% of adult Americans uh, believe uh, that they're living a life without any sense of purpose, right? All while all of them believe the majority, almost 100% of them said that they believe had one, right? So it's this real interesting perspective. And in pursuing this and, and looking at my own life, what I've come up with is this idea of the purpose formula, which is simply pain plus passion times safety equals purpose. Okay, so I'll explain this quickly. Go ahead, do you have a question? I'm right at that pain. I want to I wanna understand this. Pain plus passion times safety equals purpose. Okay, right. yeah, explain it. So bring it together quickly. I believe that uh, it's... Uh, so the ability to extract the wisdom from your deepest struggles in life, right? your pain, right? Yep. And ver it's that idea of fixed victim versus, so are you a victim or have you been victimized? Right? There's a difference. Right. So being able to look at your struggles and extract the wisdom, right? The lessons, the learning from them, plus passion. A lot of us have been uh, conditioned to believe that purpose is found inside of our passion. Couldn't be further from the truth. This is why people can pursue their passions, become extremely successful, and feel more lost and void of happiness than anything ever, although they've achieved all the things like we've described, right? So you have extract the wisdom from your pain, plus passion. I believe your passion is the vehicle in which you get to deliver that wisdom to the world. Whether you're an artist, a businessman, you know, a, a devoted parent, you know, whatever it is, all the above. Right. These your passions are the vehicles in which you get to deliver. It's like, you know, what's your if you could just pick a vehicle, what's your dream car right now? Uh, Range Rover Hybrid. Perfect. So let's say you get the Range Rover Hybrid. What's more important to you, the Range Rover itself or your family that you get to drive around in it? Family. Right. So family in this case would be the wisdom. The Range Rover is the passion that you get to deliver that family to, you know, whatever you want. Yep. To yeah. And like then. That time safety so what do i why do i multiply this because to my knowledge no one's ever od'd on safety right and from my understanding the root of all human behavior extreme violence or extreme isolation and everything in between is safety right so time safety safety in this equation is qualified support and what i mean by qualified is not solely the degrees and certifications and badges and all the things, but more importantly than that, it's the personal experience. Have you been through what you are supporting others in facing, right? And this is where my belief stems from. I truly believe that it's all of the things that you once believed disqualified you from your dreams or your goals. Those are the things that are what actually make you highly qualify to be able to support those who you're uniquely designed to support. Yeah. Right. My story, sexual abuse, drugs, near suicide, not going to be relatable to everyone. Right. But who that story is for 
could be life changing. Yep. Right. So, right. so all of this together, extract the wisdom from your pain. Again, hardwired to avoid that part, which is why so many people I think are living without purpose because they're trying to passion and hopes of finding it. You know, right. the stuff that feels good instead of the thing we're hardwired to avoid, which is pain. That's the wisdom. Then identifying the vehicle and then finding your qualified support, be it mentorship, coaching, um, commu it's community of some sort, but the community that's got a similar future, not just one that has a similar past. Yeah. So yeah, no, I that's I great. That I like really that quickly. equation. I love equations. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big equation guy too. That's a good one. Um, I, I call it the, my, the equation of life is, is mine and it's basically your belief system plus your repeated actions plus time equals who you've become. It's a little simpler than yours. Mm, yours have got more that. layers, but you know, what's going on up here again, like, are you a growth owner? Are you a fixed victim? Kind of your mindset, you know, it, it all, all your actions spring from that. And then time, just like we were saying earlier, you can't get, uh, you can't be happy by, by hitting a button for nine ninety nine, right? Yeah. And, and getting, we think we get those little dopamine hits every time yeah. we order that package from Amazon or every time we, right. But that's, that's not making us happier. Um, it's figuring out what it is that makes you happy. And then you start taking those actions on that and then let that compound. And then those become your habits and then your habits become who you are. So you're either going to go up or down. So two equations to end it with for all you people. That was awesome, man. Uh, I like to always end is with, with the question of, since speaking of habits, what is there one habit that you feel that you didn't used to have that since you went through this transformation in your life about four years ago, you've now developed that has changed your life for the better? Cold showers. Please explain. <laughs> Cold showers. <laughs> um, I, I absolutely love them. Uh, because they're difficult. And this came to me, I don't know if you're familiar with Wim Hof and like his teachings and all of that, but he, you know, there's a lot of research on, you know, uh, cold therapy and all this kind of stuff. But what led me to start this again at that stage where I was really struggling and I'd begun to learn a little bit about the nervous system and, you know, how to uh, regulate the nervous system and retrain or basically condition it for uh, a life that I would be proud of. Right. And it was presented to me like cold showers are a practice. Right? And you are consciously choosing to go into to experience something that's going to trigger the body physiologically into fight and freeze. Freeze being ironic. Right. But because you want to do the opposite in that situation. Uh, you want to get out. But you're training the body to uh, experience this activation while in a safe space so you're able to actually work through the uh strategies the breath work for example um to regulate your body while it's experiencing discomfort so take that practice now into uh you know a, a difficult conversation with your partner your body's activated in the exact same ways physiologically but because you're in this practice you're capable of being more conscious of how you want to respond Right? Regulate yourself, take a breath, whatever you need, ground yourself versus being uh, reactive right? and probably doing a bunch of shit that you're going to have to later apologize for. Yeah. <laughs> Done the wow. research. <laughs> <I love> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Very good, my man. Well, thank you. That's I, I, that's first time I've heard that one, and, and I love it. Great explanation as well. Um, a, lot, a lot of people are like, nope. <laughs> no, right. I mean, well, people swear by, you know, everybody's got different methods. And, and like we were saying at the beginning of the show, it's like, just experiment and try things. You never know what's going to resonate with you. Maybe a, maybe a cold shower doesn't work for somebody else. And for you, like, game changer. Best habit you could have ever developed. So, like, and you, you even... Uh, commented earlier we're all built differently our brains our bodies so mm -hmm. there's no there's no one way to do things just just keep trying things keep taking action figure figure out what resonates with you figure out how to how to, that's what i help people like kind of you want to trick your brain into stopping doing a lot of these things we talked about on this program today um that that's hurting versus helping you it's causing you to be stuck in i call it this failure loop versus yeah. you know hop out and get into your success loop so one thing I'll say here really quickly is uh, if there's another habit, it's a thought process and it's curiosity over judgment. Right. So if you catch yourself judging something good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't matter how you're judging, but if mm -hmm. you catch yourself in judgment, become curious instead of, I hate that because boom, 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 boom. Like, what is it about that? I don't like. Yeah. Right? I love that. So this shit, totally. Right. Like, uh, this I mean, for me because it's difficult. What is it about this that is so difficult for me? That's a universal principle right there. I mean, it, think about how the world would be in politics and just everything that, you know, right now the world is split 50, 50, you know, pretty much. And again, going back to our broken system, the political system, but won't get, I won't go into that. Uh, <laughs> if everybody like, instead of coming to the other person with their fists doubled, sort of step back and said, hmm, okay, tell me more about your opinion. I want to understand where you're coming from more. Like, holy shit. Would that be? And you may end up still disagreeing, but at least you can understand them. And, and empathize more. What's that book? It's called The Culture Code. I just started it last night. And it goes into how to develop uh, the secrets of highly successful groups. And it talks, it tells a story of World War One, where uh, both parties actually during a truce became really integrated and friends because their bunkers were actually so close to one another. They've been killing each other for months. And then all of a sudden they're like singing and cooking for each other and telling story. It's very cool. My dog is starting to grumble and there's somebody at my door. So perfect way to end it. Dude, yeah. Matthew, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed it, bro. Let's keep in touch. That's it for the five core life. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that like button on this video and pound that subscribe button. So you get notified when new episodes drop. Also, please fill out the free five core life evaluator quiz. It's a great way to get a baseline of where you are and the five cores and which of the five cores you need support. In addition, you'll get some actionable advice that you can apply and start improving your life in the areas that you need it most. That's it for today's episode of the five core life podcast. Have a wonderful day. Get moving, gain momentum, join the movement. Join Emmett by going to moremomentum.com to take a free life